if I can get this mic on, maybe we'll start the stick. There we go. Do you ever think you'd hear a drive-through communion service before? Is that did, was that what I heard? You had drive-through communion. I just in my head, I picture like McDonald's. You know, just like like there's maybe Chick-fil-A. Did y'all have two lanes and people get? I'm just. You want to talk about an interesting time we're in, huh? I mean, you've had to have some creativity to figure some things out. I know. I appreciate the elders I'm, I serve under so very much for the difficult, hard decisions they've had to make. And I, I appreciate all of you elders and shepherds in the Lord's Church who've had to make some uh, tough decisions. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to be here tonight. Uh, I got to tell you, I know for me, I probably took for granted just getting to meet with the church before this whole thing started. I think many of us maybe did. And so it's good to meet you. I, my assumption is uh, nobody in this room knows who I am. Uh, I'm not a native of Houston, let alone Texas. Uh, I'm an Okie through and through. I won't tell you what college football team I root for, but it does rhyme with back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back Big 12 champions. And uh, some of you, please don't already tune out the lesson, because I know you want to already. Um, I moved here in January to take a youth ministry, associate ministry position at Champions, and uh, if you would have told me a pandemic was going to happen about a month and a half later, I probably would have laughed in your face. And then I think God started laughing back at mine. And so it's been really interesting being here. But I got to say, I enjoy Texas. I'm learning something new every single day. Like you have to apparently speed in Texas or else they run you off the road. Um, You have to add 30 minutes of traffic wherever you go. And humidity is a real thing. And we should talk more about it and find a way to fix that. But uh, I'm glad to be here tonight. And I hope that we can gain some insight from our study together. What's so amazing about grace And really the answer to that is everything. Everything about grace is amazing. Uh, For me, I'm a simple man. I like things described simply for me. And my favorite way anyone has ever defined grace for me would be this. Imagine you are driving down a highway going 25 over the speed limit. And in any other state, they'll pull you over for that. I don't know if they pull you over in Texas. I haven't seen it yet. But you're driving down and a cop pulls you over. He writes you a ticket. That's what we call justice. You are getting what you deserve. But let's say you're going 25 over, the cop pulls you over, and he just lets you off with the warning. He lets you go. That's mercy. It is you not getting what you deserve. And maybe you've heard this before, but then it's you're driving down the highway 25 over, he pulls you over, and instead of giving you a ticket, he gives you $100 and a box of donuts. That's grace. It is a gift you do not deserve, and it is amazing. And tonight we are talking about the gift that is found in Jesus Christ, and that is grace. And... uh, I'm sure some of you in here are familiar with the uh, Avengers movies. You know, for the last 15 or so odd years, there's been these superhero movies that came out. And the last one that came out was one of the big finales or conclusions uh, to this big story. And in fact, the company that released the movies made this big advertising campaign called Don't Spoil the Endgame because it's the finale. Don't go watch the movie and then go online and and say what happens because you're going to ruin the story. Well... You can probably guess there were some people who did exactly that. Uh, One of those, his name was LaShawn McCoy. He's a a running back in the NFL. He played for Pittsburgh University. He uh, was an all-pro running back uh, for the Philadelphia Eagles. He, at the time of this story, he was playing for the Buffalo Bills, and now I think he plays for the Chiefs. But anyway, he went and saw the movie with his son, and the first thing he did after seeing the movie was he got on Twitter, and he said exactly what character died and what happened at the end ruined the story for many people who saw his post. Uh, There were a lot of people who weren't very happy with him. 
Have you ever been there where someone has ruined the end of a story for you? Makes you not care, so, uh, not care as much about the middle or the beginning part. In fact, sometimes when I watch Netflix and I want to start a show and I, I'm like, how, how long of a show is this going to be before I get into it? And I check the episodes and the titles. I look and I say, I have to be careful because sometimes the titles and descriptions can kind of ruin the story for you. You know, almost every story I know of is ruined when you know the ending ahead of time, except for one. And that's the story of Jesus Christ. That is the one story where we know the ending and it doesn't actually ruin it for us in fact it makes it it makes it that much better and tonight what we're going to talk about in first peter chapter one and if you have your bible i would encourage you to open there with me because we're going to be there for the rest of the evening is we're going to talk about this fact that we are blessed to know the story of jesus Uh, we're blessed to know the story of jesus i know we're talking about what's so amazing about grace and how it captivates the angels and prophets and i'll be honest i got a little intimidated when i heard that title that andy sent me Uh, but as i studied the text he sent me We're going to talk about that point, but I saw a bigger theme of we're blessed to know the story of Jesus for a couple of reasons, and we're going to look at them in here in just a moment. But not only are we blessed to know the story of Jesus, Peter will tell us that then should lead us to live three certain things out in our life. There are three commands he tells us to live out, and we're going to look at that together tonight. We're blessed to know the story of Jesus. And so if you would, start with me and just pick up in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Peter writes there this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Just stopping right there for a moment. I believe Jordan Moore from Katie's coming next week, and he's actually going to be speaking to you on this passage. So we're not going to hit too deeply, but we need to kind of understand it to know the context of our passage, which starts in 10. And the first thing we're going to see is it's a blessing to know the story of Jesus simply because of the salvation it brings. Uh, Peter starts writing to a group of suffering people. If you look at the first two verses... He'll call them exiled. In this book, he'll call these people aliens. These are people who are being persecuted. Uh, Nero, the emperor of Rome at this time, he would have these garden parties. And history says he would take Christians, he would hang them up on lampposts and light them on fire to to light his parties. These are people who are being killed, taken from their families, they're being imprisoned, uh, they're being split from each other. Uh, They're exiled, they're persecuted. And so... Peter writes to these people, and it's interesting that the first thing he does is he talks to them about their common salvation that they find in Jesus Christ. Just look at some of those phrases again. Verse 3, because of his, Jesus Christ's, great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
referencing this moment of you have been born again. It's what John talked about in his gospel. It's what so many apostles have written about. It is obeying the gospel. It's that moment when you were immersed into Jesus Christ and you became a Christian. You were born again, he said, to a living hope. You now had a certain expectation because you were born again into Jesus Christ through the resurrection of the dead. In the way that, just like Romans 6 or 1 Corinthians 15, just as Jesus Christ died and was buried and on the third day rose again, as a Christian, now that you've obeyed the gospel, you have that certain expectation that you're going to defeat death too. You've been born again to a living hope. Verse 4, he continues to talk about this salvation. You've been born again to what? To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, it's unfaded, kept in heaven for you. This inheritance that you've received because of the Lord's death and your death into Christ, nobody can affect it in any way. I love those three words he uses to describe it. Uh, Imperishable. There's no expiration date on heaven. Undefiled. There is nothing you can do to, to affect the value of our eternal life in heaven. There's nothing you can do to ruin it, to soil it. To scratch it, it's unfading, it's kept in heaven just waiting for you as we wait for Jesus Christ to return. Verse 4, that's where it says there, and then verse 5, born again and it's guarded by God's power for a salvation ready to be revealed. God is guarding it for us. You know, he's gone to prepare a place and he is just waiting for it. And he says, verse 8 and 9, when he talks about this salvation just a little bit more, he says, it's the outcome of your faith. The salvation of your souls. The outcome of your faith. Since you've trusted in Jesus with your life, since you walk with him, there is something better waiting for you than this life. I wonder why Peter, before he even mentions all the terrible things they're going through and starts to talk about how you handle suffering, mentions salvation. And I think it's because this. There is no better time, no more important time to be reminded of God's grace than when we face suffering. When we go through things, when we're hurting, when it's whether it's from persecution or the world outside or Satan, how he works in his ways to discourage us and affect us, whether it's trials of this life, there's no more important time than right then to hear about God's grace. That's when I need to hear about Jesus. That's when I need to be reminded about him dying for me and that he rose and he's going he's gonna to take me with him one day. He's coming back for me. That's when we as a people need to be reminded of God's grace. It's a blessing to know the story of Jesus simply because of the salvation it brings. You know, his story has really changed our story. And so just as we start this evening, as we jump into our text, one thing we need to see is he's saying, look, you're going through some things, Christians, and I want to remind you of the salvation you have in Christ Jesus. It's a blessing to know the story of Jesus. For one, because of the salvation it brings. But then we kind of get into our text tonight. And it starts in verse 10. And so read the next three verses with me of 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 10. Peter continues with this. Says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. 
You know, a second reason why, and I think I have slides and I just got to catch up on them, but uh, you can't even see the text on there, so don't worry about it. But um, the second reason why it's a blessing to know the story of Jesus is because many didn't. Many didn't know the story. I don't know how often we think about this, but if we were born at just a different time, it's possible we wouldn't know about Jesus. Uh, here, as he talks about this, he, he talks about the Old Testament prophets. Uh, and sometimes we don't comprehend that the Old Testament prophets didn't quite understand and grasp everything they were writing down for, for Christ. You know, there are two words we use uh, with Scripture and, and in, the, in the church to talk about how we get the Bible. One of those is revelation, simply meaning it is how God uh, revealed his will to mankind. It is God revealing himself to mankind. You think of the burning bush. There are times in the Old Testament where it's through a seer or a prophet or in a dream like Daniel. That is revelation. It is God telling his will to mankind. But then there's inspiration. And that is the supernatural influence of God on man to write down his will. That is where God takes a hold of man and says, I'm going to use you to write down my word and record it. And I want you to notice what it says there in verse 10 and 11 about these prophets. The same men who wrote down all of these prophecies and all, most of our scripture we find in our Bible, it says they did this in verse 10. They searched and inquired carefully. Even they didn't quite comprehend what they were writing. Um, that's a little interesting to think about. I don't know exactly how perfectly that works. But they would write it down, and they would preach it, and they would share it, but they didn't quite completely grasp it. Uh, it says three things they didn't quite grasp there. In verse 10, they did not understand salvation. Uh, in the Old Testament, it is a physical covenant. You know, there's not many uh, references to eternal life and salvation in the Old Testament because they were known for a physical covenant. You follow God faithfully, and he blessed you physically. It was very physical. Think Job. Job was called what? The most righteous man in all the earth. God blessed him physically. That's why he was so wealthy and he had all these things. You, when you were physically faithful to God, God was faithful to you. They just didn't really know about eternity. There's a few references, but not very many. They didn't even understand what was coming, and it's hard to imagine that. Not only did they not understand eternity and salvation, they really didn't understand the Savior. In verse 11, Verse 11 talks again, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. Uh, they didn't really understand the Messiah. When you go read the Gospels, you see that. They still didn't really understand Jesus, did they? They thought he was going to be a physical ruler, a king on the earth. He was going to flip over the power. He was going to rule physically, and that's just not what he was. He was coming to create a spiritual kingdom, they didn't understand that. I don't know how Isaiah writes Isaiah 53 and doesn't understand that there's a Christ coming to be pierced through for our transgressions. You and I read that and we go, well, that's pretty obvious. But that's because we're 2,000 years after the fact. And when they're writing it, they don't quite understand it. In verse 12, it says they didn't even understand the result of their service. They didn't realize all the things they were recording and sharing for us what they were going to build it was going to build a foundation for God's spiritual kingdom on earth. They didn't really understand that. They didn't know exactly how this whole story was going to play out. The Old Testament prophets didn't know. If you just pause there for a second. The people who God talked to more directly than anybody else for a long period of history didn't even know the end of the story like you and I do. 
You ever heard someone say, I wish God would just talk to me? Like, you know, just directly talk to me? You know, they had, there were people who God directly talked to, and we know more than they do about God's plan for us. That's a blessing to know. The Old Testament prophets didn't even know. And then there's that verse 13 that we have to talk about. At the end of verse 13, or verse 12, it says, The good news to you that was preached to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. Okay, let me be honest with you. I know preachers are supposed to know a lot. Can I tell you, there's a lot more about angels I don't know than I do know. I'm not going to even try to act like I know everything about angels. I have a lot of questions about angels. When Andy sent me this topic, I went, okay, we'll, we'll try to work this out. But here's what I know about angels in Scripture. Some things. I know they're created beings, John chapter 1 would say, that all things were made by him and nothing that was made was made without him. We can know that they're not equal to Christ. Hebrews chapter 1 talks about that to us, that they're not as supreme as Christ. Uh, not only that, they could fall. 2 Peter chapter 2 talks about angels who could fall, that they had uh, decisions they could make and they could fall away. They were used as messengers of God in Bible times. Now you think about angel, an angel of the Lord came uh, with, with Lot when he was in Sodom and Gomorrah. God sent two angels to talk to him. So they were used as messengers throughout Scripture. 2 Thessalonians 1 talks about when God returns, when Jesus Christ returns, he's coming with his mighty angels. There's a lot about angels I don't understand. There's some that I do. But here's the point Peter's making. The angels, God's created beings, didn't even know what was going to happen with Jesus Christ. They didn't even know the full story. Many didn't know. The prophets didn't know. The angels didn't know. But you and I know. That's a blessing I think sometimes we just don't think about too often. I could have been born at a time where I really wouldn't know about the grace that was coming in Jesus Christ. I could have been born at a time where I didn't realize that Jesus was going to die for my sins even. Or that he would be resurrected and that I would defeat death one day as I was faithful to him. And here's an even better point with that. Because he's talking about suffering people. Every single one of those prophets that we talked about who didn't know, all endured despite their lack of knowledge. You know, Peter's reminding these people of the grace that's coming to them. Because if I can focus on grace, it'll help me to endure through the trials I'm going through. Think about some of the trials the Old Testament prophets went through and didn't even know the grace that was to come fully. Ezekiel. He prophesied while he was in captivity. Daniel prophesied in captivity and was persecuted. You can think of Daniel in the lion's den. Uh, he, was, he was persecuted for his belief. Jeremiah, it's called the weeping prophet, preached a message of repentance to Judah, warned them of their destruction if they didn't return, was viewed as a traitor by those people. He was persecuted for it, cursed, beaten, thrown into prison. David a king who lived in caves because people were trying to kill him. Uh, Hebrews 11 talks about all these men live by faith despite not knowing the grace that was to come through Jesus Christ. If those men could endure what they're going through, what they went through, what excuse do we have? If I really know this world's not my home, if I know this is temporary, what can you really threaten me with? Going home? 
being with my Lord forever? If these men can do it, why can't we? So he's telling these persecuted Christians, hey, it's a blessing of the story of Jesus because you have an eternal salvation. Not only that, but many didn't even know and they've endured and you can endure too. And so that's the first part of the lesson that is important to us. It's a blessing to know the story of Jesus. That's just one part for us that we need to be thankful for tonight and thankful for every day. But then Peter says more. He says, you know, this secret that you know, this mystery you know, it shouldn't just change our story eternally, but it should change our story here while we live on earth too. And he talks about there are three commands he wants us to follow. And I kind of want to spend the rest of our time just looking at these commands because I want us to be able to leave here tonight with something we can do. And so there are three commands he gives for us as Christians since we know the story of Jesus. And so if you look with me at verse 13, we'll start right there. 1 Peter 1 and verse 13. Therefore, since you know the story of Jesus, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded... Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The first command that Peter gives to you there, he says, set your hope fully on the grace that is to be revealed. Set your hope. Some versions might say, fix your hope. It's your focus. It's your aim. It's that target you're looking at. Now, hope isn't like the, I hope there's not traffic on the way here tonight. Or, I hope this happens it's an it's a expectation, it's confident, it's absolute, it's certain. And he says, this hope, you need to have it fixed. Your hope on the grace that's coming when Jesus is revealed. He's coming back. You know, we mentioned that in the invitation. It's a fact. It's going to happen. But Peter, God through Peter says, you need to be focused on it. It should be something that gives you purpose and drives you when you wake up in the morning. And it's the reason you make the actions and the choices you do. It's your hope. You should focus on it. You know, our whole lives are really lived for one moment. Our whole life comes down to one moment, and that's when Jesus returns. And our whole life should be about that one moment, being ready for it and, and longing for it and looking forward to it. Uh, while the, you can't see the, um, the text, I did want to show you this picture. Okay, so when I moved here, the pulpit minister at Champions, he's an awesome guy. He's actually coming here later on this summer. His name's Lance Levins. But they invited me over for a movie night every once in a while. Him and his daughters, and the daughters get to pick out a movie. And they picked out one of those really sappy dog movies. You know what I'm talking about? I will never, I'm not the kind of guy to watch a sappy pet movie. I don't know if I strike you as one, but I'm not. There's one called Hachi, A Dog's Tale. And if you're shaking your head, you've probably felt soulless. After watching a movie like I did, I was so sad. The story is this. It's based off a true story. There was this dog named Hachi, or his real name was Hachiko. And he was a golden brown Akita dog that absolutely loved his owner. And they lived in Japan. And so his owner was a university professor. And every single day, his owner would walk from his house to the train station, get on the train station, which would then take him to his university. He'd teach class. He'd get back on the train, come home, and walk back home. Well, one day, Hachi decides to follow his owner all the way to the train station. And so then every day, Hachi would go to the train station with his owner. But then Hachi says, I'm going to wait for my owner. And so every single day, over and over and over again, Hachi would walk with his owner to the train station. He'd say goodbye. He'd just wait there. And then he'd wait all day for his owner to come back. 
And then he'd walk back with his owner. One day, his owner did not come back. He had a brain aneurysm, and he died. Hachi spent every single day for the next nine years sitting at that train station, waiting for his owner. Now some of you know what I mean by you feel dead inside when you watch that movie a little bit. Hachi's hope was fixed, was it not? It was fixed on the return of his master. I wonder if we're going to be found like Hachi. You know, do we, are we longingly, hopefully just waiting for Jesus to come back? That I'm going to sit there and I'll just patiently wait as long as I can. You know, he was so, his hope was so fixed on his master, they now have a statue of him at the train station in Japan that he used to do this at. We have to have that kind of attitude. We have to be completely focused on the return of our master, and it's where we find our hope. And there's one part of this verse, I think, that maybe we should understand. We need to do, if we're going to have this kind of hope focused on Jesus coming back. In verse 13, it says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action, which, in the original language, it's actually past tense. Therefore, having already prepared your minds for action, because you've been born again, you're a Christian, you're ready for it. That next phrase, and being sober-minded. There are people who struggle with sobriety. You know, there are those things that cloud our mind. They keep our focus from being on what it should be. And those, this verse has been applied to many things like alcohol and drugs. And those things are, you know, prescription pills and all those things. And that's a good application. It's a topic to be discussed. But I think there's one today that more Christians are drunk on than ever before. And it's the news of the day. I have a neighbor, and every time I drive home, whether it's morning, night, lunch, dinner, midnight, 3 a.m., his garage door is open, and he's got the news channel on, and he's sitting in his garage watching the news all day, every day. That can't be healthy, can it? Have you seen the news recently? Do you want to watch a lot? You, is that how much news you want to watch? You know, it's good to be informed. It's good to be, you know, to know what's going on in your community. It's good to be relevant. You should know the news, but how often are we so focused on what our president tweeted? How often are we so focused on what our Congress is or isn't doing, on what decision was made that we agree or disagree with, on what the hot topic of today is, that we kind of forget about this world's not my home, that this kingdom is not my kingdom necessarily. This is just an earthly kingdom. My kingdom is somewhere else waiting for me. That there's something much more important. You know, I think there are many Christians who kind of just need to turn their TV off for a little while. I think sometimes we need to not share so much on Facebook and maybe just turn the phone off. Click the lock screen. It clouds our judgment. It, it messes with our priorities. Sometimes we get so caught up in what's going on here and we long for something to be fixed here and we don't long for Jesus Christ to come back and fix everything. Hashi was waiting for his master. Are we found longingly waiting for our master? Um, if there's anything that clouds us from being focused on that grace that's coming when he's revealed, uh, we need to remove it from our lives. Maybe that's news. I was just thinking of something that maybe hits home a little more for some of us than others. But he says, since we know, fix or set our hope. But then in verse 14, he continues. Look at verse 14 of 1 Peter chapter 1 with me. He says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. 
Secondly, Peter says this, since you know the story of Jesus, since you know how it ends, since you know he's coming back, don't be conformed. If you're conformed or you're a conformist, it means you're molded or patterned after something. Usually you're following a crowd. Peter says, don't be molded to your former way of living. Uh, This former life was filled with your lustful, ignorant passions. Think Colossians uh, chapter 3. He says, set your minds on things above, not on things of the earth. He'll say there, uh, put to death within you all that, put to death all that is immoral in you, sexual immorality, greed. He talks, he goes on a list of things that are supposed to die uh, when you become a Christian. He says, put them all away from you in verse 8, or do not lie. And he talks about the sins of your mouth, the sins of your brain, the sins of your body. He says, those die when you become in Christ. And what Peter's really saying here is those things should stay dead. Don't turn around and go back the other way. Don't live the lifestyle you did before you became in Christ. I, I'm a sports guy, and I'm sure you can already kind of tell that. The sport I played growing up was basketball. Um, I played throughout high school. I made my first varsity start when I was a junior. We played a team. It was Edmond Memorial in Edmond, Oklahoma. And uh, while in Houston I've learned every team has a bunch of college athletes on their teams, that's not common in Oklahoma. You don't just see a team full of athletes that usually, uh, that often. My first start, I'm one of the guards. This team trots out five Division I collegiate athletes in high school. And then like two or three Division II players. And they pressed us the whole game as full court in your face. And I would love to say I handled it really well. But guess what? There was a lot of turnovers that day. A lot of dunks for the other team. We were going the other way, as we would call a lot. Oh, we're going this way. And it was just after about 10 seconds, we were turning around and having to sprint backwards. The pressure got to us that evening. And what Peter's saying, hey, you're going through some suffering. Don't let the pressure get to you and turn you around. Don't let this pressure to go back to who you used to be. You know, they might not persecute us so much if we just live like they do. They might not do what they're doing and treat us the way they are if we just live you know, a lifestyle that's contrary to Christ. Peter says, don't let that pressure get to you. Continue to live. You're obedient children now, he says. You're not ignorant anymore. You you know what's coming. You know this life is not it. You know this life is temporary and there's eternity. So don't go back to the way you used to be. We aren't ignorant anymore. We're obedient children. And so as a Christian, he says, you've got to live the lifestyle that God has called you to. You know, one question I think every Christian should ask themselves is this. is If you took my lifestyle now and you compared it to my lifestyle before I became a Christian, would that photo look different? The way I speak, the way I talk, the way I treat other people, my neighbors, uh, the way I care for others and the way I serve, uh, the, what, what I do with my body, Does that look different than it did before Christ? If not, there might be a problem there. It should look different while we're in Christ. And he says, don't go back to that old lifestyle. Keep it it off. Keep it dead. He says, since we know the story of Jesus, since we know Jesus is coming back to judge all mankind, he says, we should set our hope and wait longingly for him to come. But then also, he says, don't be conformed. Don't go back to the old lifestyle you used to. Don't go back to the worldly way of living. And then thirdly and lastly, he'll say this. Be holy. Look at verse 15 and 16 with me. 
So don't go back. But 15, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Peter here quotes Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44 and 45. And that is a chapter that is all referencing what is clean and unclean to eat. This, when he's talking to the Israelites, you can eat this, but you shall not eat of this. This insect's okay, this insect is not. I would never eat an insect anyway. But there's this food and there's this... And he keeps going, he says, this will defile you and this won't. This will keep you clean and this won't. And as my chosen people, there are select things for you to be partaking in and being a part of, and there are things you should not. And here Peter says, if you're going to bear the name of God, you need to be holy, for he is holy. Now, holy means to be set apart. You know, one way I think visually to describe it or illustrate it is this. When I moved here in January, my dishwasher didn't work uh, for some reason, so we had to get it fixed. And so I had to wash my dishes in this really old-fashioned, ancient way with hands. Um, that's a joke. Um, so you get all these dishes, and you, know, you scrub, and you scrub, and there's soap, and there's water. And then what do you do when you finish it? You dry it off. You stick it right back in the dirty sink, don't you? No. You go set it apart with all the clean dishes. It's set apart. See, I've cleaned it. It's been washed. It now has a new purpose it can be used for my benefit, and that's what God does when he makes us holy. When we become Christians, he says, I've washed you, I've consecrated you, I've made you pure. You can now be used for my purpose that I've given you. There is something different for you, you're set apart. And here Peter says, you are holy, you should be set apart in your lifestyle. If we think God isn't serious about our lifestyle, I think these two verses tell us quite differently. He's frank, and he emphasizes it. We are to be holy as he is holy. He's made us pure. He's removed all that has stained us. And he says, you're holy. You should be living a set-apart lifestyle. We have to continue to be molded into the pattern of Jesus. Our words, our actions, our behavior, they must be set apart because the God whose name we bear is holy. He's set apart. You know, it can be quite difficult at times to be holy. Holy does not mean perfect, but it can be difficult to be holy. It's not always the easiest thing, but yet God calls us to. And I think we should go back to verse 3 through verse 9. There's a reason before Peter says, you shall be holy, despite what you're dealing with. He goes, let me tell you about salvation that's found in Jesus Christ. It is much easier to be holy when you're focused on Jesus returning than it is if you're not. You know, if we're mindful each and every day, that Jesus is coming back, that i got to be ready, if we're mindful that our Savior is coming to take us home, it's much more difficult to then make a decision that's contrary to God's will. See, we have the right perspective and we think about and we're focused, like he said earlier, on the grace that's coming in Jesus, we're much more likely to be holy in our decisions and holy in our conduct. How can we think about the God who saves me how can we think about the God who's coming back for us to meet us again forever and then choose continually to live contrary to him? It's much harder. So he says you focus on that grace that's coming. It'll help you be holy. Uh, tonight, as we've talked about this section of scripture, it captivated the angels and prophets, yes. Grace is amazing because the men who shared it didn't even completely understand what they were saying. Grace is amazing because the angels who were created didn't even understand 
the story of Jesus. Grace is amazing because it brings us a Savior and a salvation. But this context in 1 Peter, more than anything, says this. Grace is amazing because it pushes me through suffering more than anything else can. Nothing can motivate a Christian quite like grace. Tommy Caldwell is considered the greatest rock climber of his generation. He climbed El Capitan or El Cap six times. That, that climb hasn't even been repeated by anybody else. He was asked one day, he said, what makes you the greatest rock climber of your generation? It's not that you're, the guy said, it's not that you're more athletic or just so naturally gifted than everyone else. In fact, Tommy is missing this first finger on his hand, which is a pretty important figure for a rock, climb, a rock climber. And he said this quote, and, I'll, and as I read it, I'll probably never forget it. He said this, I can remain focused on and suffer for the big thing longer than anyone else. That's the attitude each Christian should have. I can suffer for and remain focused on the big thing, which is Jesus returning longer than anybody else. That's essentially what Peter is asking these people to do. I want you to hold on, dear Christian. You keep living the way Jesus has called you to, despite the hard things that are happening, and they're hard. He's not denying it. He's saying, you remember the salvation that's, that's yours? And will be yours when he returns. I think that's the message for you and I tonight too. That in our life there will be trials. And there will be difficult circumstances. And there will be suffering of all kinds. But we have to hold on and be focused on. That Jesus is coming back. If not. We're likely not going to stay very motivated. To continue to be holy. To live the right way. We have to be focused to set our hope. That he's coming back. There's no greater story than that one, is there? Aren't you glad you know the ending to that story before it's even happened? God's will is complete. It is complete. It's been written for us. Nothing's going to change that. But you know, God's story has not ended yet. We know the ending, but his story is still being revealed through our very eyes. You and I are going to get to see that ending and how we long for it each and every day. Let's focus on it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to be together today as, as your family in Christ. God, we thank you so much for uh, your love and your mercy that was shown through your son, that was shown as he created us, but then he came to earth and became man, that he died for us, that he defeated death and, and, and rose from the grave. And Father, we're so grateful that we know the story of Jesus Christ. God, we're grateful that we know how it's going to end God, please help us to be strong. God, help us to focus on the grace that's coming to us when Jesus comes back. Father, help us to be ready, to be mindful of it. God, help us to look forward to it longingly, to be excited about it, to want it to happen. God, help us to be holy in our conduct while we're here and help us to remember that the grace that's coming to us so that it would help us to be holy. Father, help us to remain living in you and to not turn back to who we used to be. God, we're so thankful for the gift of Jesus, how it cleanses us, how it helps us to be with you forever, how it will give us unlimited fellowship with you, how everything will be made right again, all wrongs will be undone. Father, how you'll wipe away every tear from our eyes. God, grace is a gift and we're so thankful for it. We ask that you forgive us, Father, when we fall short and we know that because of your grace, you forgive us. Thank you so much for who you are and how you love us. It's in his name that we pray. 
Amen. I think we're dismissed. Don't know how it goes around everybody here, but I think, are we dismissed? Perfect. All right. Appreciate your attention. So it's good to see you.